Good morning, Pillar Church. How are you? Welcome. Is this almost blustery, Miss Joe? Yes. Yes. So, so, in case you missed it, uh, a month or two ago, I said it was a blustery morning and there was really no wind blowing. It was just slightly cold. And I proceeded to get roasted and nobody listened to me for the rest of the message. But this is, uh, this is California blustery. This is a almost winter again. I don't know how. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. I got my boots on. I got a coat on. Thermal underwear. I'm, I'm ready. Ready to preach. Well, praise God. Uh, if you have your bulletin, there is a, a number in there. If you have any questions, you can text it to that number. Uh, Trace and I will come up at the very end. We like to call this Stump the Chump, right? So if you got some questions from the text or, or something wasn't clear or uh, just anything, really, just text it in to us and, and we'll give it a shot here at the end of the service. And if we don't cover it, it's because maybe, uh, maybe you send in the question and then it gets answered later. Well, by all means, please use that, and uh, we want to be as interactive as possible. So last week was, what, what did we celebrate last week? Easter, Easter yeah, it was, it's Resurrection Day, right? So we, we celebrate Christ uh, rising from the dead. It was, it was perfect timing, and Trace mentioned this when we, we laid out the book of John. It was wonderful that the week prior, Jesus had celebrated what Jewish feast? In, in the book of John, yeah, it was Passover, right? So it was just beautiful timing there, that in John chapter 6, he had said, I am the bread of life. So if you want to turn your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 7. But I did want to say from last week, uh, Trace, Pastor Trace gave, a, gave us four F's. Do you remember what those were? Forgiveness, freedom, family, and future. If you weren't able to join us, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to the Easter message. And I want to remind you, so on Friday night we had our, our life group at the Potatoes home, and we had a wonderful conversation about the Easter message. And we never made it past forgiveness. We started talking about forgiveness. And it consumed a whole hour. And to be completely honest with you, we could have gone for another two to three, four hours. Forgiveness is such a massive topic in the Bible. One thing we discovered as we, we went through this, it was kind of two things. And I wanted to share this because it just really convicted in my heart that it was for the whole church. Is, is forgiveness really, and, and Trace hit this, it is square one, right? And not only does it heal our relationship going up and down, but it, it heals the, the horizontal relationship, right? It, it makes us okay, right? Offering forgiveness. But the problem with forgiveness is when you have to give it to somebody is people hurt us, right? And it's hard to extend forgiveness. Remember, forgiveness does not make them right. It makes you free. When you offer forgiveness, it doesn't justify what they have done to you. It doesn't make it okay. Forgiveness is not saying, it's okay, hurt me again. It's saying, as I forgive you for what you've done to me. Amen? And if the other person is... Seeking forgiveness, that means repentance. That means they're changing their ways. That means, praise be to God, hopefully they won't do that again. Amen? Forgiveness is key. And for whatever that's worth, for whoever needed to hear that, I pray that you go back and listen to that message. Second thing I want to say, then we'll dive into today's message. I'm not trying to re-preach Pastor Trace's message. But it is very good when you hear a message on Sunday or Wednesday or however you go to church, is that shouldn't be the only time you really think about a message. It should be reflected upon throughout the week. The scripture encourages us to meditate upon the word. When you hear something, like bring a little notepad, type it in your, in your phone, meditate on it. Meditate on the word. Meditate on a point or, or something that you heard. And I promise you the scripture will begin to become alive to you. It will speak to you. It will start to convict you. When we covered forgiveness on Friday night, and I thought about it in the week, and we talked about it in our group, I 100%, I hate to even tell you this, but on Saturday, I had to exercise forgiveness. On Friday night, with a clear conscience, I told everybody, it's like, I am free of offense to anybody. I'm good to go. I'm walking this forgiveness life out. 
by Saturday, my wife is like, I got so mad at something I read. I had anger in my heart. Big time. I'm trying to prepare for a message, and I'm angry. And my wife's like, hey, babe, you're, you're trying to study for the preaching tomorrow. Can you, can you not read this or talk about this right now? She goes, or at least don't talk to me about it. And so I was like, yeah, whatever, Audrey. So, I, uh, so now I'm mad at her, too. So she got added to the list. But it was about 15 minutes later, the Holy Spirit brought back up to me the conversation I had Friday night about forgiveness. So I stopped where the Bible says, pray for your enemies. I stopped and I prayed. The weight was lifted. It was beautiful. But had we not discussed that Friday, had I not meditated on it, could you imagine sometimes we spiral off and we do things we, we know to do, but we don't do it, right? So these are all freebies. This isn't part of the message, but let's go to John chapter 7. So we're picking back up the text. We just finished up John chapter 6 two weeks ago. So we're back in the story. We're going to read the first 13 verses. That's all we're going to cover today, a small, small chunk of text. And I, you don't have to read with me, but I'm going to read it to you. Uh, if you don't have the Bible, you can listen to the, the soothing sound of my voice. It says, After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. You should underline that. They were seeking to kill him now. Now, the Jews' Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles, was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. Verse 4, For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his, there you go, for not even his brothers believed in him. Underline that. His brothers did not believe in him. Verse 6, Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you. But it hates me because I testify about it and that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. Verse 10. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, He is a good man. Others said, No, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. Let's pray. Father, enlighten your word to our eyes. Father, would you please bless this next half hour together, Lord, as we sit under your teaching. Father, may anything that is not true fall on deaf ears. But I pray that the truth will remain, Father, and it will change our lives. Holy Spirit, we we look to you now to soften hearts and to open eyes and to open ears. That you would use me as an empty vessel right now. Would you please fill me up that I may give out what you've put in me, Lord. We thank you for this. The church said... Amen and amen. So, if you go back, verse 7, chapter 1, starts off, it says, after this. So, after what? So, whenever you see an after this, you should pause and think, what just happened? So, we already talked about this, right? So, Jesus uh, was at Passover, and he had just lost a whole bunch of disciples. You remember how he lost the disciples? It It wasn't a pyramid scheme. Yeah, he said... You do not eat my body and drink my blood, right? He said a really, really hard saying there. And people said, this is too hard. Who, who, can, who can endure this, right? It was a stumbling block. And the Bible says that many of his disciples quit following him that day, right? So that's Passover. He was at this feast. Now, what's happening is Jesus is going to another feast. What, was it, what did uh, chapter 7 tell us? What feast was he going to? Tabernacles, tents, booths, right? Depending on your translation, has different names. So this is one of the seven uh, feasts that Israel celebrated. We just had Passover. So from Passover to the Festival of Booths is about six months. So the story between the end of chapter 6 
and chapter 7 is about six months later. We're, we went from March, April time frame, and now we fast forward to late September, maybe early October. Right? So the narrative here is taking a big jump. It might surprise you because we're only in chapter 7. In John, John moves really quick on the front end, moves really slow on the back end. If we're reading this along in Matthew, we're in Matthew chapter 18 right now, right? Like this is moving. We've read, if, to get to this point, we would have already read 18 chapters in Matthew. But John gives us a lot during Jesus' Passion Week. We get, we get a lot of his sayings coming up. So you might be surprised to learn at this point, Jesus is only a year away from his death. It's coming. It's coming quick, right? He's about a year out from dying on the cross at this point. So you notice at the beginning, uh, the Jews were more like offended by him, but they weren't ready to kill him yet. We get to John chapter 7, and they're ready to kill this guy, right? Like it's like, whoa, what, what happened, right? So his disciples are leaving him. Uh, the Jews want to kill him. And we have this scene here where Jesus is talking with his brothers. It should be noted, if you're a Bible nerd, that there's three feasts that are celebrated in the Millennial Kingdom. This is a freebie. The, the, the festival, the Feast of Tabernacles is one of them. This is one of the three, Unleavened Bread, Passover, the other two that will be celebrated. So this is a celebration, I, friends, that I think in the New Kingdom we will, we will all celebrate together. And really what it is, uh, you can do a lot of research on this. It's absolutely fascinating. But what the, the Israelites did is they moved into shelters, into booths or little tents, like they were living in the wilderness, to remind them of how they lived during the Exodus season. They moved in these little booths. Really kind of cool. All right, so let's look at verse 4. So let's dive into the text. So what we're going to do here is we're going we're gonna to point out some things in the text that I want to maybe draw out some theological implications that you know we can reflect on throughout the week. So one of the things, so he's having a discussion with his brothers, right? So how many know that Jesus had brothers and sisters? Raise your hand if you knew that, that Jesus had, had a family. Yeah, he's not an only child. Amen? So if you want to see the names of these guys, go to Mark 6, verse 3. Mark 6, 3 gives us the names of Jesus' brothers. So if you wanted to see who these guys are, and it says, is this, not, is this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of, here we go, James and Joseph or Jose, or Jose if you're from San Diego, or, and Judas and Simon, are they not, and not his sisters with us? So we get a list of Jesus' family right there, right? So here's his family and his sisters. So Jesus is known in the community. He's the, he calls him the carpenter. He calls him the carpenter's son, right? And he's, he's got this family. Now, it should be surprising to you, who's the oldest in this, in this brood? Well, Jesus, right? He was born of a virgin. And then they always list them in chronological order. So if you want to know who the next is, it's James, and, and it goes on down there. So Jesus is in Galilee, and he's having this conversation with his brothers. In the culture at the time, uh, and you, you probably know this, family is everything, right? It, it's like the American culture is very much based on the individual, right? So how many of you, when you turn 17 or 18, you immediately left the house? You're like, I am out of here. Now, this is a Marine Corps-facing church, military-facing church. So most of us, see you later, right? I'm out of here. I'm done with this, right? And most cultures aren't like that, like... There, it's not uncommon to have multi-generations living with each other. And not because of financial necessity. It's because the family is a unit. We do things to make the family proud. I don't lift up my name. I want to make my, my family name great, right? You, you've heard these things, right? Like the son of Odin. Like, I'm Odin's son, right? Like, you have these things. You say who your father was. There's this pedigree. And the Bible is really big on that when we look at the genealogy of the Bible, right? Son of David, blah, 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 right? So it goes down and down and down. 
So Jesus is having this conversation. So I don't want to be lost like this is a conversation like you're having with your brothers or sisters where you can say whatever, slam the door and walk out of there, right? What these people think matters, right? They, they, they have a family legacy to think about. So in verse 4, his brother says something peculiar. He says, no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. Let's pause there. We're jumping into a conversation that's already begun. How did the brothers know Jesus wanted to go there secretly? We know Jesus is going to go there secretly, right? Because we just read the text, right? He tells his brother, my time isn't yet. His brothers leave. Then Jesus goes secretly. So apparently we're stepping into the text mid-conversation, right? We don't hear the conversation, but, the, but, but we pick up on, hey, nobody goes secretly, right? So you have to use a little bit of imagination here that Jesus said, you know, the brothers and him are talking. It's like, hey, what's the plan, Jesus? Well, I'm going up to Jerusalem in secret, right? Because why is Jesus going to go in secret? Because they're trying to kill him, right? So does that make sense what's happening here in the text? So sometimes we have to, we have to be a detective in the text. It's like, wait a minute. I didn't get to hear what else was just said, right? I'm, this guy's randomly saying something. Nobody goes out in secret. You'll go so your disciples can see you. What just happened in chapter 6 with all the disciples? They're gone. So him and his brothers, apparently, were picking up in this conversation where they're like, look, you've lost everybody. Your disciples are gone. What does that do to a family honor? If Jesus, he's called rabbi, right? So if a rabbi loses all his disciples, does that bring honor or shame on the family? Well, this is a shameful event. And the Bible says, did his brothers believe or not believe? They didn't believe. Has Jesus' brother seen any of the miracles he's done? Yes. What did they see? Water to wine. They were at that wedding feast, right? When his mom said, hey, do it. Whatever he says, do it. So they have seen notable miracles. As far as we know, they've seen the other miracles, too. The scripture doesn't really tell us, but we know for a fact they saw the first one, right? But they still don't believe. They know he's lost his disciples. We know we're in the middle of a conversation that Jesus is telling him, I'm, go I'm going up in secret, right? So some people use this text to say, look, Jesus lied. He tells his brothers, I'm not going to go. My time isn't here. And then he goes, see, he lied. And that's nonsense because once you realize that he's already told them he's going up in secret, really what Jesus is saying is I'm not going with you, right? My, this isn't my time to go yet. It is not my hour, right? I'm not going with you. They're seeking to kill me. And we know for a fact they were looking for him. It's because when we get to the end of our passage there in verse 12, the Jews are like, where is he? Did you see that? If this guy that flipped over the tables and drove out the money changers, right, he's performing miracles, he's fed the 5,000, everybody's heard of this guy, right? So you're going to go to the feast. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles is one of the most popular feasts in Israel. Like, this is the one every male Jew had to go. Everybody's looking forward to this. This is a party, right? Do you guys like feasts? Do you like Thanksgiving? I mean, that was a very lackluster. Like Thanksgiving to me, the older I get, the cooler it is. Right? Like Christmas was, is always number one because you want stuff, right? Once I realize I have a job, I can just buy myself stuff. I don't need stuff anymore, right? I want food. So the older I'm getting, I'm like, Thanksgiving is the holiday for me. Like my kids love Christmas, but I love Thanksgiving. I'm, I'm all about it, right? The turkey, the mashed potatoes. The green beans. Like, Chris makes enchiladas for the love of God. I mean, it's like, and I eat some of those, and I always steal, like, half a tray of enchiladas because the day after Thanksgiving, while you guys are rookies eating turkey sandwiches, I'm eating enchiladas like a pro, right? And it is phenomenal. And I'm, I still look forward to it. And that's why I'm so angry about COVID is because I didn't get enchiladas this year. I went to Taco Bell. It sucked. It's not the same recipe, but... My point is, 
is imagine a week-long festival, right, where it's celebrating, it's rejoicing, it's, it's family, it's coming together. Imagine this week, right? And all the, everyone's looking forward to it. And you have this guy, Jesus, who's done all these things. He's fed people. He's been the wild man. He's the John the Baptist guy, right? He's, he's, going, he's talking to the women at the well. He's talking to sinners. He, I mean, he's everything. You would be thinking about this guy. You're going to the celebration, looking forward to it. And it's like, he's going to come. He's going to do something, right? And everybody knows everyone's scared of the Jews. People didn't want to talk about Jesus because they knew the religious leaders wanted to kill this guy, right? I'm not even going to talk about this guy. So you have to get this image in your head of, of what's happening here. Now, the reason why they're having this discussion as well, because they're in Galilee right now, and they're going to Jerusalem. Friends, that's about 120 miles. Right? Does that sound like a fun walk? No. My wife and I just celebrated our 20th wedding anniversary. Thank you. No applause necessary. But she has stayed married to me for 20 years, which is amazing. What we did is we went to Disney World in Florida, because Florida, as you know, is not locked down. So we went to restaurants. We walked around. It was fun. And I had, my, I had an Apple Watch on, and it told me, you know, uh, for, for three days there, we walked 34 miles, right, walking around Disney World doing all the attractions. And we were wrecked, right? Your legs are sore. I thought it blew a hammy out on day two. Just, just, you know, I'm terribly out of shape. Could you imagine walking 120 miles in about three days to go to a festival? If you walked 120 miles, are you going to ready to party for a week? No, right? We're done, right? And so this is a big planning event. So... I say all this is not trying to be cute, but think of what's happening here. I want you to be in this Bible story. He's talking to his brothers. He's lost everything. He's losing disciples. Right? People want to kill him. And then you have to walk 120 miles. Right? This is, this is heavy stuff. Going up in secret, how do you secretly walk 100, 100 miles, 120 miles, right? Like this is some planning. Right? This is some stuff you've got to do. Okay. So you, you, you've got that going. So last week... Trace had four points. They were, what were they again? Remind me. Forgiveness, freedom, family, and a future. Let's use those same four points to draw some theological conclusions. Let's start with family. I'm going to steal Trace's message. I'm going to make it easy on you because you heard it again. Family. Family relationships can be tough. Jesus has this relationship with his brothers. They've seen the miracles, but guess what? They didn't believe in him. You think Jesus felt really good? He knew. He can, can Jesus read people's hearts? Does Jesus know if people believe or not? 100%, because in chapter 6, he knew which disciples weren't believing. Right? And friends, as Christians, so what, what's a theological takeaway we can think about this text? How do we apply this to our life, right? Because honestly, there's not a lot of application if we think Jesus has to walk 120 miles in secret to go to a feast. It's like, cool, let's wrap it up and go get some lunch. But the scripture tells us that Jesus was tested and tried in all points as we were, but without sin. When you think of testing, when you think of um, tempted, actually that's what the King James said, that Jesus was tempted in all points as we were. Temptation isn't always to do something wrong or sinful. The biblical word for temptation actually means trial. Right? He was tried like we were. Jesus had a rough family life at times. At this point, Jesus' father is most likely dead. His earthly father, Joseph, is, is, is died. He's absent from the story. There's lots of other ways to actually prove this throughout the text. I'm not going to take the time right now. But he is a man who's experienced the loss of a parent at a young age. He's a man whose brothers and sisters do not believe in him. He is actively being forsaken. He knows what it's like to have a broken family or these broken relationships at home. And friends, when we become Christians, one of the tougher things to do is to start to reconcile your family with your faith. Is that true or false? 
true. Most of us, some of us, not me, but some of us grew up in Christian homes, right? It was the ideal setting, and you don't have a lot of work to do there. Well, this part of the message isn't for you. But probably the other 95% of us came from homes that were broken. And you really didn't know how broken they were until you came to Christ, and you saw what it should look like. And so there's a lot to work through there, issues with our parents, issues with our siblings. Friends, I'm not going to belabor this point, but I want to tell you is that Jesus has gone through this. You can look to him. He knows what it means to have lost someone. He knows what it means to have inner family strife and conflict. He's well familiar with it. He's acquainted with it. But when you call on him to heal these relationships, friends, that means you're calling on someone who has walked the walk. Amen? Family. Jesus can restore. Not only Trace last week talks about how Jesus brings us into the family of God. Friends, he can also restore your family, your physical, earthly family. If you ever get bored and you want to hear a half-hour story, come up and ask me about my testimony about how my whole family got saved. I was the first one, right? I was the oldest of five kids, and I get led to Christ while I was in the Air Force. That's a long story of me sharing the gospel with my parents, with my brothers, my sisters, who initially rejected it and mocked me said I was in a cult. Right. But it's amazing. They're all saved now and they're all serving Christ and they have been for a number of years. Amen? Amen. And if your family hasn't seen that yet, friends, it is not too late. Amen? He can restore these relationships and he has done it. He continues to do it and he will do it. Number two, future. Trace's message, he talked about how Christ has given us a future. It's like, well, how do we get this from this text, right? Because Bad preaching is when people make points that aren't found in the text. But I would like to call to mind Jesus' brothers. In Matthew 6, 3, we saw that he had brothers James and Joseph and Judas and Simon. He had sisters. Well, if you flip over to Acts chapter 1, Jesus is risen from the dead, and the church is anxiously awaiting. And starting in verse 12, it says, this is the disciples, they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went up to the upstairs room where they were staying. That is Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these were continually devoting themselves uh, with one mind to prayer, along with the women. And here it is. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with Jesus' brothers. Jesus' brothers did not believe in John chapter 7, but by the time we get to Acts, they're waiting in the upper room for the outpouring of the Spirit. Jesus' brothers have come believers. Friends, when we use the word future in this context, is your future, your family's future, your friend's future, has not yet been written. In John chapter 6, when the disciples left because they did not believe, is that a statement about their eternal faith or a snapshot of a moment in time? My friends, it's a moment in time. That's exactly right. Jesus' brothers did not believe, but by the time we finish this gospel, they are going to be believers. And guess what? Not only are they believers, they're influential in modern history and our lives. Who wrote the book of James? James, the brother of Jesus. Hallelujah. Who wrote the book of Jude? Judas, the brother of Jesus. Matter of fact, open Jude. This will blow your mind. Maybe it won't. Open up Jude, chapter 1, verse 1. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Of course, we know James and, and Jude are brothers. You notice he didn't say he was Jesus' brother? 
That's pretty amazing, right? That's humility right there. To be honest with you, if I was Jesus' blood brother, every one of you would know it. Actually, once I found out, you might have some relatives alive. They did a little research and come to find out I am not related. But that's not the point. Is these guys are walking the walk. They're walking in humility. These are, he's like, I'm, James, I'm a servant of Jesus. I'm a brother of James. But Matthew and all the other Gospels tell us he's actually Jesus' physical blood brother. So we have a future, my friends, and it's not written in stone. If you're going through life's up and downs, remember, the end has not yet been written. And somebody will take a snapshot. People like to take snapshots at a moment in time and tell you what's happening, and that snapshot is your future. That's not the truth. The Bible does not tell us that. It is not written in stone. There are years left, days left. And our God is an awesome God. And he's greater than anything this world can throw at us. So if you are believing for children to be saved or loved ones or relationships to be restored, opportunities that were lost or squandered, your body is broken. This isn't final. Amen? Amen. This is not the end. God has, our future is yet to be written is my whole point. Right? Amen. Freedom. This is, we're free from the world. Now Jesus says something interesting to his brothers in chapter 7, John 7, 7. It says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that his works are evil. Now this is interesting because by the time we get to John 15, he tells the disciples, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Wait a minute. How come the world cannot hate Jesus' brothers, but it can hate his disciples? Rhetorical question, I'll tell you the answer is because his brothers at this point are not godly men. The world doesn't hate its own, right? It only hates the godly. So that we know the spiritual condition of Jesus' brothers. Like, the world can't hate you, but by the time we get to the end of John, it says, don't be surprised if the world hates you. Actually, this is found in 1 John 3.13. Do not be surprised, brothers or sisters, if the world hates you. Friends, if the world loves you and they celebrate everything you do, you've probably got a problem. Amen. Right? Because the world hates true godliness. They reject it. The closer you are to Christ, the more you're going to find yourself despised by other people. Now, there are people that say they're close to God and they're just despised because they're obnoxious. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about a heart that really seeks after God and godly things. right? And if you think about our master... Really, what did Jesus do wrong? He fed people. He healed people. He loved people. Right? Let's kill this guy. They hated him for it. They were so outraged at the things he did. Right? It's, you, you would think there should be a moment of clarity. It's like, time out. Let's look at this man's body of work. Right? And they kill him. Right? We don't want the world to celebrate us. We're not of this world. We're not a part of this world. We are called out of this world. 1 John 2, 15 and 17 says this, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God continues to live forever. So in our third F, freedom, is God has set us free from this world. Right? You've got you to meditate on that and realize, where are you too plugged into this world? I struggle with this. I struggle with wanting approval from men. I really do. In the workplace, right? I have a, I have a secular job. I almost said civilian job, but a secular job, right? I'm, I don't, I'm not a pastor full-time. 
at least in the traditional sense, right? But I still seek approval. I still do things to, to have people influenced about me that aren't necessarily Christ-like, right? I have a love of things that I, I have to continually work on. I have to really curb appetites. I really like to buy guitars. It's a running joke in my house, but it really is a thing. I, one, I'm not that great, but really, how many guitars can you play at a single time? Like, I don't need to own as many as I do, right? And I have no idea where this things come from, but you can say, oh, there's nothing wrong with owning a bunch of guitars. There really isn't. But the thing is, is mine really isn't like a godly appetite for them. I just want them because I want them. I like looking cool with guitars. I mean, I'm telling you my dirt, but it's like I, I know where I'm broken in these areas, right? Because when I get a guitar, it's not like about how does it sound. The first thing I ask my kids is, how does this one look? You ask my wife. I ask them all the time, is this one cool? Do you like this color? It's very vain and it's very superficial. I'm, I'm, I'm going to play guitar next week, by the way. Don't judge me. Because it's something I do. You see where I'm getting at? Is I still seek worldly things. And these things are so entrenched in me. And I know that when I do these things, the love of the Father is not in this. This is not glorifying to Him. Some things are just neutral. But I know where I'm broken at. And I'm, I'm, I'm telling you these things. I'm also seeking to buy another guitar. But I've already worked through that. So if you see another new one, don't, you know, start praying for me and that weird stuff, right? It's just boring right now. Okay. But we are free from this world, friends, and we have to exercise these freedoms. It doesn't happen automatically. Just because Christ has made you free doesn't mean you're free. Does that make sense? Sounds like a little bit of a paradox. But he has made a way. Before Christ, there was no way to get free from this world. There's no way to get free from sin. It was impossible. He has made a way. And now you have to figure out how to do that, how to sacrifice, how to crucify these worldly flesh. So, again, bringing it back to the text, Jesus calls out his brother says, they can't hate you. You guys are way too worldly. They hate me because I expose them as evil. Friends, if the world is celebrating you, think hard about this. Where have you compromised? It doesn't mean you should be hated, right? Hopefully you can see that, right? I don't want you to be the most hated at work. That's not what this is about. You should be hated for your principles, right? Because like you stand up for something. The last thing, we'll close with this, is forgiveness. This really, is, in this part of the text, is not found. But I want to hammer this again, is that access into this story, this, this family, this future, right? this freedom, is only found through forgiveness in Jesus Christ. He's willing to forgive any and all sin, friends, all the scripture says it's just, please, just turn to him, right, and ask. And I'm imploring you now as one of your pastors, is that there are too many broken relationships. This world is after hate right now. They want us to hate one another. You know why? Because it's not of God. God is love, right? If any man hates his brother, he's in darkness. And the Bible says, who is our brother? Answer me that question. Who is your brother? humanity, right? It's you and I. It's your neighbor. It's the people you work with, right? And the, far, the, the enemy's plan is brilliant because he's like, hey, if I can divide you with money, if I can divide you with race, if I can divide you in denominations, right? Different churches believe different things. Churches tear each other apart. He looks at every possible way. Is there a division between men and women right now? Right? Is there inequality? Are people being oppressed? Division, right? It happens so frequently right now. 
that's what honestly made me angry yesterday. I, I'm not gonna, I will not go into details, but uh, somebody at a seminary wrote a prayer asking God for the ability to hate people. It was the most offensive thing I think I've ever read. Like, why, I mean, this, how are you a theology professor at a seminary and you're asking God to hate people? Is that God? Is that found anywhere in the Bible? Because when I read the Bible, the Bible says, pray for those that persecute you and pray for your enemies. Does Jesus tell us to pray for the ones we love? No, he tells us to pray for the enemies. When's the last time you just sat broken praying for those that hurt you? Instead of tearing them down with your mouth. We're walking in the opposite direction of what the gospel implores us to do. And all these things, the family, the freedom, these things are wonderful. But the cornerstone is forgiveness. Friends, you've been wrong. I, I know it. I'm sure if I sat here and I heard your stories, is that you have been wrong. Because I know most of your stories. I know how people have hurt you as one of your pastors. I know the things people have said, what they've done to you. I know how you've been treated in your life. And friends, the great grace of Jesus Christ is found is when you finally release these people. Stop carrying those burdens. I know you've cried out to God to forgive you of your sins. But I guess what I hear the Spirit saying to this church now, it's time to forgive those that have hurt you. It's time to get rid of that weight. Friends, let this go. Jesus was betrayed. He lost his disciples, right? His brothers don't believe in him. We, the arc of the story, as we, as we look at this story, Jesus is building disciples. He's got momentum. The crowds are coming, thousands of people, thousands. And the Bible says they wanted him so much, they were about to grab him by force and make him king. This would have ruined God's plan. Jesus had to thin the herd. He could have said, drink my blood and eat my flesh a million other ways. Eh, Jesus, I think you could have worded that a little bit better because we just lost everyone. And by the time Jesus gets to the cross, he's been forsaken by everyone. Even his original twelve are denying him. Right? They don't believe. He's betrayed by one of the twelve. His family has forsaken him. The world has forsaken him. The Father... What has the Father done to Jesus? Forsaken as well. And Jesus, at his moment, his lowest point in his life, he's left to die on this cross. The night before, he's crying out, and he's sweating blood. Jesus knew he had to die. Have you ever thought about this? God, is there any other way? He's, this is, you're in a bad way here. This is, and God's like, this is the plan. Like, there is no other way. This is it. Since the beginning of time, this is the plan. And Jesus is like, oh, this is going to hurt Right? Like Michael Scott, right? Remember that? Oh, this is going to hurt. And he's looking at this, and everyone is gone. He doesn't have a friend in sight. The disciples are asleep, and everybody has betrayed him and left him. That's why he's thinning the herd, friends. He has to go this way. And like Jesus, people have abandoned you. They've left you. They've spoken against you. And Jesus is like, I know. I've been there, right? It's part of the process. It's part of becoming a fully qualified human being. Is to suffer loss, abandonment, betrayal. But unlike Jesus, we don't have to go to the cross, but we have to do the same thing. We have to forgive. We have to. There's no other way, friends. That's the lesson within itself. Why does God let these terrible things happen? Because we're all in this together. We all go through the same temptations, trials, and hurts. Some people are a lot worse. Yes, we live in a broken world, friends, and it's not fair. And life's cards aren't played equally standard's still the same. Amen? I can't imagine a man who had a worse hand dealt to him than Jesus Christ. 
I don't say that cheaply as, as a pastor. As of course you're going to say Jesus. But think about the abandonment, loss of loved ones, crucifixion, people wanting to kill you because you fed people, right? People talking about you like, ah, oh, he's a false teacher, right? He's God himself. He wrote, authored, inspired the Bible. And people are like, ah, oh, he's a false teacher. It hurts. I had somebody once say, hey, I heard Pastor Mike say something not true. I remember this years ago. I said a lot of things that weren't true, but this person was wrong at the time. That hurt me deeply. Because I study and I probably really try to think, I really don't want to say something that's not found in the Bible. I try not to color my opinion on the text. And it hurt. I remember how bad that hurts. And I remember saying things that were wrong, but I found out they were wrong. I remember how bad that hurts. So even little, I don't know if you guys know this, but it hurts when people say you're a false teacher. I mean, it would hurt deeply because I do put my heart and my soul into this. So just stop and identify with Jesus and forgive. Let it go. Amen? Family, future, freedom, forgiveness. We've got that two weeks ago. Let's see if Trace can keep it going. Week three next week. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father, we come to you again in the name of Jesus. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the example that Jesus Christ has set on the cross as, as he's making his way there now in our story, Lord God, would you make this more real than ever to realize, Father, he had a life just like we do. Father, he experienced all these things, the family relationships, uh, and so much more, and that he was our example, that he did all these things, Father, that we might learn from them, Father God, and benefit from them. So it helps to take full advantage of the life that he led and the story that we get to read, this word that you gave us. Lord, I ask that you bless your wonderful church now. In Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen.